When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 140, Manhunt. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray, son of the Ninth House, holder of the Protective Cup, and heir to the Holy Rings of Smoke. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we like to examine an episode of Star Trek, a single episode of Star Trek, and then pick it apart, see what makes it tick. What are the morals, meanings, and messages at the end of the day? And does the whole thing hold up? This weekend, manhunt. Whoa, here it comes. That did not take long at all. <laughs> and also, <laughs> here comes the contact information. See, if I don't if I don't jump straight to the contact information, it'll just be a Hall Notes uh, thing. The whole show. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> and that may still impact. <sighs> Mission Log Pod is the address where you can find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. That handle again, Mission Log Pod, in all three of those places. If you want to call us, you can. Our number is 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and a bunch of other fun stuff, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And remember, any place you leave us comments, we may use them on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Or we may just tell our friends. Yeah, we might just... <laughs> I got this email the other day. It was so Did crazy. Did you see what that guy said? You oh should God. read this. It's... it's <laughs> It's, or it's wonderful. We might. I, mean, I shouldn't say it's great. It might be wonderful as well. Hey, yeah. you, you know what else yeah. is wonderful? Trivia. Hey, all right. Cool. All right, so trivia. This week's episode was written by the great Terry Devereaux. And no, no, that's not DC Fontana. That's actually our old friend Tracy Torme. Now, uh, recall that Tracy had written The Royale and then went under the name Keith Mills since he was unhappy with the rewrites and changes made to his script. Same thing here. His mm. heart wasn't in it. Um, this is the last full episode that he wrote, and he left Next Generation at the end of the season. Uh, it was directed by Rob Bowman, the uh, wunderkind who we have talked about many a time. And, um, hey, uh, I was very excited in this episode to get some good screen time on that cool futuristic decanter, uh, the one that contains various ales, sometimes blue, sometimes yellow, sometimes Romulan, sometimes not. So uh, welcome back, old friend. Uh, Ken, here's a little bit of uh, a research that, that I did. Um, vermiculite is a rock. Well, well, technically it's a clay used in industry, sometimes contained asbestos. That's no good. Uh, vermiculture means that you are growing worms. Uh, vermicula is a made-up thing mm. that the Antedians are eating. Uh, though I was somewhat pleased and horrified to find a fan website that does recipes based on Star Trek stuff. And they had their own recipe for vermiculo soup made from ginger, garlic, spring onions, a light broth, and, and white bait. What is white bait? 
So white bait is pretty much uh, any small fish that is under, I, I think the cutoff is like 25 millimeters, but mm-hmm. depending on where you are in the world, um, it, it can be from different uh, uh, different species of fish. But pretty much if you've ever gone into like a, a Japanese market or you know an Asian food store and they have those bags of dried out like tiny, tiny fish and you eat the whole thing, um, that is white bait. Just okay. teeny, teeny, tiny fish. And because they are so small and because they are immature, there are actually restrictions on how you can uh, harvest and sell those because, well, we, we want the fish to grow up and become become big fish. I love that. You say they're immature. Like they just keep sticking their tongues at, at you while you're trying to cook them. <laughs> right. They, just, they have terrible attitudes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, get over here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, some guest stars this week. On the holodeck, uh, we meet a gangster in, in a uh, brown pinstripe suit uh, with a black hat on. He's got a scar on his face. That character is played by Robert O'Reilly, making his Star Trek debut. Much more of him to come. And uh, we get to welcome back Carol Stroykin as Mr. Hom, of course, and uh, Majel Barrett as Loaxana Troy. And yes, it is entertaining to hear Majel talk to herself as Loaxana to the computer. You know what I? You know what I thought would have been great? What's that? If they had just for this one episode hired Nichelle Nichols to do the voice of the computer. Oh, how good! And like on the cartoon, which like of course cartoon, yeah. everybody on Next Gen wanted to forget happened. <laughs> well, so it's a shame. Maybe they wouldn't do that, but uh, yeah, that would be funny. It's a shame. Um, we also have back uh, Rhonda Aldrich as uh, Madeline Dixon Hill's secretary. We mentioned before that she appeared in T.J. Hooker, so got to appear with two Star Trek captains in her career. And um, Robert Costanzo as Mr. Bender in Dixon Hill's office. He's just been in a ton of other shows and movies, provided many voices. I'm going to tell you right now that I'm going to leave out all your favorites. There are just too many. Um, he did appear in Total Recall, one of my personal favorites. And we have two Antedians here, the fish people. Uh, one of them is played by Peter Andrewski, who got no credit for his work. He has almost no other credits to his name. The other Antedian is played by Mick Fleetwood. He does get a credit because that is the Mick Fleetwood as one of the Antedians. Uh, he's one half of the founding members of Fleetwood Mac. Drummer has a long and storied history with the personal turbulence of the band. Um, he's had a, a handful of other small acting roles, including a moment in The Running Man. He plays the resistance leader, and he has the immortal line, Mr. Spock, you have the con. In this episode, one of the biggest rock stars of the 70s and 80s, and the original number one, this episode is going to be awesome. Prologue. The Enterprise is picking up a couple of Antedians. They'll be taken to Pacifica, where they'll begin the process of applying for admission to the Federation. Beamed up, what you got here is a couple of cold fish. Literally. They look like fish, and they're in a self-induced catatonic state. Helps them cope with the whole flying through space thing. They'll not be revived until they're almost at Pacifica. That's three days away. Dr. Pulaski will work on a place for them in sick bay. In the meantime, they'll just be kept here in the transporter room. Wes is grossed out by their food. Worf is intrigued by their countenance. Picard left like a minute ago. On the bridge, Riker asks Wes what he thought of the Antedians. They're rather strange-looking, says Wesley. Hey, that's racist, says Data. Actually, he says, judging a being by its physical appearance is the last major human prejudice, Wesley. Picard agrees, pointing out how ugly Wes would be to an Antedian. We interrupt this after-school special for the arrival of this week's guest star, 
Waxana Troy, daughter of the fifth house, holder of the sacred chalice of Reeks, heir to the holy rings of Beta Zed, mother of Counselor Diana Troy, and, adding a new title to the train, Beta Zed Ambassador. She'll represent her planet at the Pacifica Conference. Also, she says Captain Picard was thinking some naughty thoughts about her. As we head to opening credits. Act 1. Waxana beams aboard and is almost immediately startled by the look of the Antedians. She then jokes about how much better they'd look on a plate. Where's Data when you need him? She also strikes an air of familiarity with Captain Picard that openly annoys Deanna, calling him Jean-Luc rather than Captain, complimenting his legs in his dress uniform. She offers to let the Captain carry her luggage rather than her impressive valet, Mr. Holm. Eager to impress, Commander Riker steps in to carry it for her. Cue the long, slow, painful trip to her quarters. On the way, mother and daughter think a conversation to each other about how handsome Riker is. Waxana wonders whether he still belongs to Deanna. She says people don't think like that anymore, though Loxana says maybe we'll have to get them thinking that way again. She also invites the captain to a dinner, an ambassadorial function, so he's pretty much required to go. With the captain gone, Deanna and her mother talk about her mother's attitude toward men. She treats them like a commodity, which she says they are. And furthermore, guys like that. On the bridge, Riker is telling funny stories about Loxana and the familiar tone she struck with the captain. Picard catches the end of the story and catches Wesley and Data laughing about it and chastises them. Look, she's an ambassador. Treat her like it. Also, dinner will be a dress uniform affair. Of course, no one else knows about dinner, something the captain doesn't find out until he arrives at Loxana's quarters, finding an intimate table set for two and a provocatively dressed ambassador. Act 2. There's barely room for food on the table thanks to all the low-flying passes. Loxana's got her mind set on Jean-Luc, flirting by word and action, holding his hand, playing a one-sided game of footsie. Mr. Holm rings the gong of giving thanks as Loxana takes her first bite, and Picard sees a way out of his discomfort. He calls Data to her quarters to blather on about everything he can think of. And being an android with a brain that loses nothing, that's a lot of talking. Sometime later, could be minutes, could be hours, Data is telling the most boring stories with which Picard pretends to be enthralled. Loxana is about to fall asleep in her whatever she's eating. In the corridor, we're let in on what's going on with her. Deanna explains to Dr. Pulaski that Loxana is going through the phase. Sort of sounds like menopause, but different. Deanna explains that it's only at midlife that a betazoid female becomes, well, fully sexual, if you know what I mean. Pulaski says she gets it, and now she gets why the captain was on his way to Loxana's quarters. Alone. Though playful about the situation, Deanna does crash the dinner, giving the captain and Data a chance to slip out. Deanna gives her mother justifiable grief. Why would you come on board this ship in this condition? Loxana says it's under control... Besides, the captain is totally into her. Needless to say, the captain is not totally into her. A fact he makes clear to Deanna. No offense, your mom's cool, but... No. You call that a telepath, by the way? How could she have thought I was thinking such things? Deanna explains a bit more of what's going on. The phase is screwing with her telepathic ability where matters with the heart are concerned. It'll end, though with her focusing all of her sexual attention on one man whom she will eventually marry. And that one man is the captain. Deanna says there's no way to disabuse Loxana of these thoughts without grievously offending her, 
So the captain decides the best thing to do is to not be around. If you need him, he'll be on the holodeck. San Francisco, 1941, A.D. In the office of Dixon Hill, private investigator. Act 3. You've met dicks, haven't you? Tough as nails, private dick. Except for when Picard plays him. This is Picard's chosen holographic retreat, though he seems to have forgotten everything about Dixon Hill, Hill's associates, role-playing... After nearly being killed by several would-be assailants, Dix asks his secretary, Madeline, if she wants to go for a drink. They decide to go to Rex's bar. Rex is expecting Dix. There may be trouble there, so Picard has to take a heater. And for a definition of heater, see also a piece of the action. Back in the real world, Waxana is upset to find that she can't find the captain. Ship's business. Eh, nothing to be done. Instead, she and Mr. Holm will look for alternatives. In the transporter room, Worf and Wesley are standing, staring at the Antedians. Worf is still commenting on their handsomeness. Wesley is still implying that they're ugly. Is that what you thought of me? asks Worf. Yeah, at first, but now that I've seen more Klingons, you're not bad. For a Klingon. That didn't come out right. This bit of awkwardness interrupted by Waxana Troy, daughter of the Fifth House, holder of the Sacred Chalice of Reeks, heir to the Holy Rings of Beta Zed, mother of Counselor Deanna Troy, Beta Zed Ambassador, and, adding a new title to the train, Woman on the Prowl. Boy, are those Antedians ugly, huh? Anyway, Wesley is too young, and she can't wait for him to mature. Worf is not human. She's kind of gotten used to humans, though she does love his primal thoughts. Pity. The hunt continues. Act 4. Picard is still not picking up on the whole role-playing thing. He schools Rex and Madeline on how great World War II ended up being for the U.S. Rex thinks Dix might be drunk already. Besides, he's got bigger problems. He's in a pickle. A jam. He's got trouble, see? Somebody's gunning for him and Dix. We could go into it, but Why? Rex and Dix did something good that got the guy gunning for them sent up the river, but now he's back, and it seriously does not matter. Back to life, the Antedians are finally in sick bay. They're waking up. Loxana heads to the bridge, where all of her attention ends up focused on Commander Riker. He needs to go tell the captain that the Antedians are coming, too, and she says that's great. He can also tell the captain that she and William are getting married. William, as in Riker... As in, him. Yeah, she just announced that to the bridge crew, including her mortified daughter. And now she has to go get ready for their wedding. Act 5. Loxana craziness aside, Riker is headed for the holodeck. He has to deliver the message, or messages, to Picard. Data asks if he can come along. In Rex's bar, Picard is getting to know Madeline when in walk Riker and Data. Rex says, they got time for one drink, right? Picard introduces his associates. Riker is Nails from Chicago, and Data... Data is Carlos from South America. Nails lets Dix know that the Antedians are awake. Also, a certain woman, both wealthy and beautiful, now thinks that she's marrying Nails, not Dix. Rex says, it sounds good to him. In sickbay, the Antedians are eating their raw fish and kind of grossing people out. Except for Worf. Loxana, meanwhile, wants to show Riker a lovely dress she has, so she asks the computer where to find him. The computer directs her to the holodeck where she finds Rex's bar, Riker, Picard, and... Well, hello. Rex is amazing. Strong, handsome, 
and his mind. She can't read it. She decides that she and he will marry. Okay, says Picard, but first we have to get you to Pacifica. That's Picard's duty, and he will see it done. Somewhere along the way, they let her know about Rex. He's not real. She's embarrassed, but still flirtatious. Also, now that they're awake, Loxana can read the Antedians, and they're not delegates. They're assassins. They are planning to blow up the talks on Pacifica. They're taken into custody. Loxana is beamed to Pacifica. The end. Can you get a medal? Why? Because you you did it, <laughs> you you did. And there was a little bit of there was yeah. a little bit of conflation there. You know, I I, I took yeah, like yeah, some yeah. sections because this was like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between stuff, and it seemed like it would just be easier to tell the Dixon Hill story, yeah, or lack of story. You, you um, have to do that. We've both yeah. done that from, yeah. from week to week, where you you take a scene where it's just cutting away for the sake of pacing, but you yeah. kind of have to combine the moments exactly. You know? So yeah, um, but yeah. I mean, if, hey, if this gets me hazard pay, so be it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had a few questions about this. Uh, a, I wanted to know why the Antedians didn't suffocate if they're not in water. Okay. Because um, I thought they were fish. Can I go ahead and ask the question that I have about the Antedians? Sure. Well, that's interesting. You bring up that they're fish. I assume they were just evolved from fish. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, if we assume that they do live in water then how do they have explosives? I mean, how could they have gotten to the point of having explosives? I know we can blow things up underwater, but I'm pretty sure we started mm-hmm. off by exploding stuff, not underwater. Um, yeah. But then the bigger question I have is, so so the jig is up. They find out that they're going to blow up the conference. Why do they mm-hmm. not just blow up the Enterprise at that point? That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> just, uh, oh, oh, we're caught. Boom. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, Worf, yeah. take them into custody. Yeah, uh, they're wrapped in dynamite. How about you take them into custody? Or better still, uh, transporter dude, transport them out into space, won't you? Yes. Yeah, I was a little surprised about that. I'll I'll say that. Yeah, that was a little weird. I I wonder if they're related to, um, oh, from uh, the Ambergris element, uh, who who were the the fish race. Yeah, they were the fish race from the Ambergris element. They were the fish race? Yeah, I don't remember their names. Yeah, I know who you're talking about, though. They were the ones with Mm -hmm. the, uh, not the principles, what were they called? The, the ordainments. The ordainments. Yeah, thank yeah. you. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Hey, maybe they are related. They were way cooler. Though. I couldn't help thinking about fish cats, but you know, no. it's only because <laughs> no. only because I'm looking at a fish. It didn't look yeah. anything like the. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, bonk bonk on the head. I'm glad that you uh, pulled that one out. The Antedians are weird looking. We yeah. should get over weird looking things. And Worf thinks they're cool. And then Data gives us a lesson. Wait a minute. You're going to talk about that here? Because that seriously actually is one of the discussions, isn't it? That's really? Because I just It has to be. It, it, it has to done. be. One, well, we're coming we'll back. back to, yeah, we'll we, come back. We have we'll come, to. Yeah. We'll do the whole thing over again. <laughs> <laughs> no. Is this the first time we've had someone disoriented and not standing up straight when beamed up? Because I I swear that we have had moments in the Star Trek where like somebody is sitting or they're facing the wrong way and then they get beamed up and then they're standing looking straight ahead. And I wondered if the the transporter kind of straightened them out. And in this, what was she doing? She's come on. Loxana is up in that position when she gets beamed up. She beamed up that way. That's why her daughter was like. Stop it. I mean, yeah. she's all drama all the time. Nothing yeah. happened with the transporter. She just, you know, did that thing that she does. Yeah. She I, I still think it would have straightened her out. <laughs> it can't straighten you out. Well, I Why guess not? maybe. It, well, uh, you see, now we're going to go into a whole discussion of what's the deal with the holodeck. Or the transporter. That's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Hey, I'm not going to assume that Mr. Hum is an alcoholic. I'm uh-huh. going to assume that his people metabolize alcohol the way that we metabolize, you know, water or iced tea. Um, he, he might be an alcoholic. Though. I love the fact that he like, <laughs> so he downs that whole thing right there, right? Which is absolutely yeah, fantastic. Yeah. But then later after their dinner, when he should theoretically be, you know, picking stuff up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's, he's finishing the glasses. Yeah. He's finishing what's left <laughs> yeah, in their glasses. And I just love, and I, and, you know, I, I kind of started thinking, well, so I like your whole thing about, oh, maybe they metabolize alcohol differently or maybe they need it to survive or something like that. Maybe he has to drink to be able to deal with her. Yeah, to right. be able to deal with Waxana's craziness, and I'm not saying That's... anything bad about her, but I mean she's a little she's a little frenetic. Maybe he needs to keep like a decent buzz, mm-hmm. just to be able to be like, I oh, know this is cool. There, there's there's liquor in my future, so just mm-hmm. you know, be quiet, pick things up, play the yeah. mime, and move on. If we learned anything from this episode, it's that in the 24th century they have space forks. Awesome. Yeah, I, I was, you know, it, it, when you're doing a show like this and, and you have to make sure that you telegraph at all moments to the audience that this is the future and it's not right now, <laughs> and you have to make sure that the hand props display that as well. So they didn't just have normal forks, they had to have space forks. Well, that's not fair. It was a formal Beta Z dinner. I mean, uh, we don't so, know anything so the beta about Beta Z. They use space forks. Well, so. Or they use Beta Zoidian <laughs> forks. I don't know what they would be <laughs> called. Yeah. Oh, well, they were. They were awesome. Um, Data seemed very happy to be asked to talk at dinner. Like, yep. And I'm not just talking about while he was there, but that, that shot of him getting the call while he's on the bridge. Yep. I, 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 felt, uh, I felt very glad for Data. And I felt glad for you that we had a shout-out to the Omicron system. Uh, you see, I even missed the shout-out to the Omicron system because I was so excited about the shout-out to Pacifica. <laughs> right, yeah. I was actually hoping we would see Pacifica at the end because, if you remember, love that place. Yeah. Toddlin' no, Planet. No, too bad. No Pacifica, no Omicron, but uh, but they do still exist. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's talk about that smile uh, that, love it. that Riker gives. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that you is... Know, when he yeah. gets to play that, I, I don't want to talk about whether he's a good actor or a bad actor, because we're only into the second season. There's a lot mm-hmm. more to see. But when he gets to play just unabashed excitement... Mm-hmm. I'm going to say something that's going to sound crazy to most people, but I don't care. There was a Cary Grant moment to that mm-hmm. scene with Troy when he's, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and, and it's, it's a, it's almost a Philadelphia story moment, I think, um, where he thinks he knows something. She tells him something that's surprising. He acts generally surprised for a second. And then he's just like gleeful because he's thinking about all the possibilities <laughs> in that. And then he plays immediately to like another straight line, which unfortunately was not delivered as well as you might want it to. But she's like, so Loxana has decided on the only possible thing that she can do. And he says, what is it? Seclusion. Is it seclusion? Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is funny. It's a funny line. It wasn't delivered quite as well as it could be. But just, yeah, the two of them on that couch, I get that whole, like, I got I got the spark between them just in that one look. And, and seriously, I don't know if he was really just that happy or if he's just that good an actor, but mm-hmm. that was probably, and this may be sad, the best scene of the episode. <laughs> I think you may be right. Yeah. You may be right. Yeah. Um, now, I was entertained at the idea that Picard can't explain the kind of adventure that he wants on the holodeck. Mm-hmm. Because I, I kind of think I get where he's coming from. Like, I, I'm I, I'm not a big thrill ride guy. Like, I enjoy them from time to time, but then I do it and I'm kind of done with it, mm-hmm. you know? So I kind of get the idea that, like, okay, if I could go to the holodeck and I could choose 1941 or I could choose 
you know, 1641 or, or whatever, I would say like, okay, my, my adventure is going to be, I'm going to go in and I'm going to have a nice meal mm-hmm. and do a little shopping <laughs> and, and that'll be it. You, you would know? shop for things that you couldn't actually take out of the holodeck with you? Well, you don't know that because some things you can take uh, out of the holodeck with you. There's no point in even going shopping. I mean, you can go window shopping in the holodeck and then you just have the thing recreated when you're, uh, when you're back on the Enterprise. Well, there's that element of discovery, which I think is kind of interesting. But, yeah. but, but speaking of taking things out of the holodeck with you, yeah. how, about, uh, how about particulates in the air? Because uh, there's Picard smoking at the bar. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that was holographic smoke. You know, or is it like the real crumpet the Pulaski ate that, that we assume stays in her belly when she leaves? And does the computer remove that when he walks out, or does Pulaski have to treat him? Oh, that's an interesting question. Maybe, yeah. maybe he was just vaping. Maybe. Uh, okay. All right. So, all totally a hundred percent safe. Is that yeah. still a thing? Do you think five years yeah. after we after, after we record this? I give it six months. Uh, after yeah, you think so? But they're building places all over the place. I'm just saying. Uh, uh, so yeah. it's a good question about the smoke. I, I got to say, by the way, on the holodeck, um, I was surprised how much I ended up liking Rex. Oh, sure. And he's he could have been like a nothing yeah. character, but I really like Rex a lot. And it's it's little things. It's not, you know, it's not, he's not an overly handsome guy. He's not an overly funny guy. I think the moment that I had was uh, when he tells Loxana that she's more class than that joint's ever had. In fact, here, have some of this. It's French. Almost. right that means nothing and yet it was just such a such a such a great uh kind of thing actually made me wonder why they have a real bar on the enterprise Mm. why not just make a holographic bar and it's only i mean it's it's a holodeck but it's not a holodeck you can't use it for anything else it is always 10 forward except it's better than 10 forward but it could still have the outside window but it can be you know then if she ever decides to redecorate takes five minutes and since they're only serving synthahol anyway that's being generated by a machine, just, you know, make the whole thing a bit more fun. Now do paint the fence. I think the first thing that I thought about with this, with uh, Luaxana, and, and it's a little bit of a stretch, but but go with me here for a moment, is that it's sort of like the poor man's version of the liar's paradox. You, you know the liar's paradox, that, that old thing, which is if you begin, if somebody begins by saying, I am lying, mm-hmm. or everything I say is a lie, then that statement is a lie, but how do you know that then everything that comes after it is the truth or a lie. You, you kind of get stuck in, well, a paradox. That's why it's a paradox. Um, and, and I started to think about that with regards to Luaxana's power because here she is going around just spouting off these things about you believe this, you're thinking this, you, mm-hmm. you know, this is what's on your mind. And Picard's like, uh, no, it, it's not. <laughs> and you're, you're terrible at this. But yet we know that this is a power that the Betazoids have. Um, how... How difficult is it then, even Betazoid to Betazoid, to be able to call each other out to say, no, you're wrong about that? Because the answer is always, well, I I can read minds. I I know that I'm right because I can read your mind because this is a thing that we do. We're Betazoids and that's the power that we have. So it, it seems like it puts you in a position of constantly, constantly 
well, A, rubbing people the wrong way, which is what Loaxana does. Right. Um, but it, it also seems like you can never actually truly understand or believe anything that anybody says around you. Because, I mean, here, here's Picard just saying, no, I'm, I'm not thinking those things. Or is he? Maybe somewhere in the dark recesses of his mind, he is. Um, but it seems like a very problematic power to have. Well, there's also the whole, you know, don't think about elephants thing, right? Sure. I, I want right. to say I want to say it was Brad Garrett, and I'm not sure if that's true. He was the very large guy from uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say that he did stand up. I saw a stand up comedian a very long time ago, and in my memory, it's Brad Garrett. I don't know if it was him or not, but it was one of the old evening at the Improv things, mm-hmm. and he had this fantastic thing that uh, where he was singing this horrible song. And uh, and a part of the song, and forgive me, I'm going to sing, but the whole point was he sang it terribly. So if I do it poorly, you won't know. It'll sound just like him. <laughs> doing this thing at the end of his act and says, and now you're thinking about me naked. <laughs> and even if you weren't, now you are. Right? Right. And then right. he growled at everybody, yeah. which is kind of awesome. Yeah, I mean, so she's only wrong the first time. Because mm-hmm. even if Picard wasn't thinking about doing the nasty whatever you want to call it with Loxana he can't help but think about it after that even if yeah. he's not like oh yes that would be wonderful I mean he's still thinking about it you know what sure. I mean so so, it, so it's kind of a liar's paradox but you know she's only lying for the first five seconds <laughs> right <laughs> after oh, that that's... it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy you are thinking about taking over the ship well I uh, wasn't thinking about taking over the ship but, but yeah, you, yeah you got me because yeah. because maybe they're not actually telepaths <laughs> well, right, right. Yeah, no, exactly. That's the thing is that you wouldn't actually be able to prove that. Yeah. You know? Well, it's a very difficult thing. I mean, you could. Yes, you right. could under testing. But the problem is, even after you've tested it and established, well, this is a thing that they can do. What you can't do is test the intent mm-hmm. because her intent is just all over the map, you know, yeah. uh, and, and you can use it to manipulate and abuse. It is. So it, yeah. It is weird to me that we're chalking this up to her going through the phase right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she did this last time she was here, too. Yeah. Totally. I mean, uh, totally towards Picard. I mean, yeah. now, granted, she's a bit more um, – she's a bit less discriminate. She's a bit more indiscriminate. I don't know mm-hmm. the best way to say that. She's not just focused on one guy in this episode. She's focused on one guy per minute. Right. But, I mean, it's it's different people at at, uh, at different times. Right. Um, I had, and I don't, I, it certainly was not, I didn't find with the exception of the uh, ugly doesn't mean anything thing mm-hmm. that we kept getting with Wesley. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that there was an intended message in this episode, an intended point of discussion, but there was one thing that kind of, there were two things actually that hit me that kind of bugged me. I want to talk about one really quickly. There seems to be, um, an inherent sort of privilege of rank or class in this episode mm. that really kind of bugs me um so picard comes onto the bridge after they've met loxana in the transporter room and Riker is mm. telling this funny story about you know oh man she is just woo loopy she's out there and she made the captain uncomfortable and the captain comes onto the bridge and he catches the tail end of Riker's um story and he catches uh data and um Wesley laughing yeah. about it. Yeah. 
and I had to watch it. I had to watch the scene actually more than I watched the episode because I wanted to see if he addressed Riker in that at all. And he mm. he did look at Riker briefly, mm. but it really seemed like it was a uh, it was a it was a talking down of the under officers, like like because Riker and maybe this is the privilege of rank as well. Riker then gets to turn around and look at. Wesley and Data disapprovingly. Now maybe he was no, just turning right, around because that. maybe yeah. he was just turning around because he didn't want the captain's glare or gaze yeah. or you know anger focused at him. But I mean, there's a there's a um, I can't remember what it is, but something apparently when it hits the hill rolls down, and we actually <laughs> had a a physical illustration of that, and we also had that with Waxana. She goes into it's like your old uncle who doesn't understand that there are certain words that we don't say the way his uncle used to when he was a kid, you know. Right. Yes, yes. So Wesley stands there and says something that is, on the one hand, it's aesthetically informing. Wesley has not seen someone like that. These people look odd to him. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's racist. And Data's like, dude, seriously, that's racist. You got to cut that out. All right, that's and you know, you know the problem with humans. <laughs> and this is not racist, by the way. The problem with humans is that's the one thing that they still get hung up on. And that's it. You know, otherwise, you guys are like totally awesome. You will be yeah. Metarons one day if you just get over this whole ugly thing, right? Yeah. And then Loxana comes in and she's like, oh, last time I saw something like that, it had sauce on it. Last time I saw something like that, it was on a plate. And everybody just rolls their eyes. You know, kind of like you do when your uncle says something about various people on the planet that he really just doesn't know anything about and shouldn't bother talking about. Um, which again was sort of like a, a sort of a privilege of rank or class thing because she's not, well, first of all, it's the 24th century. I'm assuming that there's nobody still alive. Who's like, Oh yeah. Back in the day we used to call these people this, but we don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, unlike today, today, I mean, I, I have relatives who are like, Oh, we used to be able to call this person that thing. No problem. It's like, okay, well, that that was used to be, and this is now. Right. So we're past that, and yet it seems like, uh, well, she's an ambassador, and she's you know somebody's mom, so we'll let her be hateful. Although, if this were the early 21st century, mm-hmm. and her being an ambassador and said something uh, racist and insensitive, uh, it would be tweeted in about 30 seconds, <laughs> and then it would get retweeted and retweeted, and it would be a scandal of epic proportion that's all true. over the internet, because that's the way it happens now. So, like, somebody's not even allowed to have that thought, and even if they are a fine person, and even if they they are uh, uh, admirable and, and, and have admirable qualities throughout um, making that one insensitive remark... Can yeah, absolutely destroy your position and your job. Well, you're talking about two things at that point. I mean, first of all, sure. it is sort of questionable whether somebody is wonderful if they consistently have those thoughts. And I mean, sure, there is sure, a difference, sure. I suppose, between slipping up and saying something dumb or saying something you don't realize is offensive and actually being continually offensive. What you're talking about is sort of a victim of the uh, gotcha mentality that um, that social media and the press, yeah. um, which seem practically interchangeable at times. Uh, that social media and the press have sort of uh, gotten themselves into. Because, you know, there's nothing I like more than likes, and there's nothing that's better for me than followers, and there's <laughs> nothing that's better for, you know, any number of websites, and even websites associated with what you would have one time thought of as as um, as uh, pillars of, yeah. of, of media and information in society. Nothing better than clicks for that, because clicks sure. equal ad dollars, and that's really what that comes down to. Sure. Um all of which is incredibly sad, and almost none of which has anything to do with uh, 
what we were talking about. <laughs> Although it was interesting because then Deanna can just step in and say, like, I don't know, she doesn't really believe that. And trust me, I can read her mind. So, you know. <laughs> well, I didn't believe that, yeah. but now I do, now that you say yeah, it. So, uh, yes. Right. Uh, interesting. Uh, uh. Um, there was one other thing that I wanted to hit, and mm-hmm. you sort of had it as a uh, sort of an aside. What were you saying about Picard earlier? Um, oh, about him going into the uh, oh, holodeck? Oh, not, not being yeah. able to explain the holodeck, that's right. Yeah, or or yeah. have the adventure that he wants to have in the holodeck. Yeah, yeah. It did, I mean, as you say, it did strike me as weird that he kept saying, I want to be in a Dixon Hill novel. Because he doesn't want to be in a Dixon Hill novel. Mm-hmm. He wants to be in San Francisco in 1941. He wants which to dress totally up like fine. Dixon Hill. Yeah, yeah. it's neat. Yeah. But, I mean, everybody wants to kill Dixon Hill, which you would <laughs> right. think he would know if he had read as many Dixon Hill novels as he claims to have read, although he can't remember Madeline's name when he first walks in. Or he treats it like, right. oh, you're oh, – oh, Madeline. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. And he doesn't know anything about Rex's bar, and he doesn't know anything about the guy who's coming to kill him and all that stuff. What I found interesting about this episode was that Picard almost seems to have a case of org chart-itis. Hmm. Um, walks on as crazy as a bag of cats. I mean, she just yeah. is. She's yeah. nuts in this episode. But they're going to treat her with respect. They're going to treat her with the respect due an ambassador. Now, if he had ever watched an episode of Star Trek, he would know they were treating her with all the respect an ambassador is actually due. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I understand what he's talking about. And again, this goes back to sort of the rank thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, but even out of earshot, we don't talk that way about her because she has a certain she has a certain prestige. She has a certain uh, position. And that's how we treat her. But then there was the other thing about the Dixon Hill scenario. He so so that guy comes in and tries to shoot him. And Picard's like, no, no, no this is what I want. I want Dixon Hill. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a little less Dixon Hill, but I want Dixon Hill. Another guy comes in, tries to kill him. Another guy comes in, tries to kill him. And Picard, rather than, I mean, because he's got this computer, this computer, which, by the way, can create an enemy that can take over the ship. He's got this computer at his disposal, but he's got it in his head that what he wants to be is in a Dixon Hill novel. And so he just keeps programming the computer to put him in a Dixon Hill novel. He does not think outside the box at all in this episode about, why don't I just say I want to live in the Dixon Hill universe, but not be Dixon Hill or not why don't I just hang out in San Francisco in 1941 like you were yeah. talking about yeah. yeah Um. why does he not pause the computer and make it put money in his pocket he's, I, I wondered about that I wonder why the computer didn't already have money in his pocket yeah yeah, yeah. he's very much he in this episode and this is not Picard generally speaking he is very much in this episode tied into the way things are supposed to be yeah and it struck me as is kind of odd, and I don't think that's I don't think I, obviously that was not a point. I don't believe, unless the secret subtext of this message is, "Hey kids, it's hip to be square." <laughs> <laughs> don't think outside the box. No, no, no. You've got color inside the lines, boys and girls, uh, because because Picard really seemed to be uh, caught very much in coloring inside the lines. He can't tell Waxana, "Hey, look, I'm not into you. You're not into me. Dinner's over." You misled me. I thought this was a thing. It's like, oh, no, she expects me to sit here, so I will sit here and try to find some clever way to get out of this as opposed to just going, hey, by the way, I'm captain of this ship. I'm going now. Well, you know, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I I, I actually had a note about that scene. And, and I think I, I would treat those as a little bit different. I, I would say that, 
you know, the Picard who's on the holodeck, that does seem out of character because it seems like this is Picard, the person who can't think his way out of this difficult and alien situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the thing with Picard at dinner, this is Picard, the, the, the negotiator. This is Picard, the thinker, going, hmm, I have this boorish, offensive woman <laughs> who is staring me down at dinner. Right. She is an ambassador, so I, I can't create a situation that would offend her. So I'm going to think through this and go, aha, I can totally sideline this by bringing in data and let him do his thing. And then I come across looking okay and I can just make a hasty exit. So I, I did think that that was clever and smart and non-offensive. Um, so th- this is Picard thinking a step or two ahead. Okay. So I like that. Right. But what I wondered is... Why couldn't she see through it? And even sadder, how sad is it if she can see through it? And she's just sort of playing along because he's there. And this is the only FaceTime that she's got with the guy. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel sorry for Loxana if she has to go through her life knowing that people are put off by her. So, so then why can't she control it? Well, I don't think she has to go through her life. I mean, uh, Deanna does say that right now her telepathic ability is kind of being thwarted by the phase. It is. It's it being is. thwarted by what's happening with her body right now. So, yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, but it, but I mean, where that is the case, it is possible that just, I mean, it's almost like being struck by Cupid's arrow, right? You'll sit there and, and do whatever that person wants to do because you are pretty much literally enchanted with that person at this point. So even if it's not your favorite thing, you want to make that person happy. But I mean, yeah. we're really talking, yes, I mean, in this case, it, it's it's put in terms of a medical or physiological um, uh, state that this person is in. But I mean, it really is magic. She's enchanted with Picard. And so even if she doesn't want to do what Picard wants to do, she'll suffer through it because she gets to be next to her man. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but, but that's the thing. You know, I, I feel that at a certain point, she would have to understand what's going on. Well, you know, she 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 would have to understand that that he is he's now doing everything that he can to get out of there, and he has created the scenario to get out of there. So yeah, and, and it's kind of sad then that that's the only thing that she's got. <laughs> is it well? At least he's in this room, even if there's data sitting here. Mm. You know, even if I have to listen to him go on and on. Yeah, it um, only it only feels to me like that's only for this short period of time. I mean, that's like if you met somebody who had the flu. And, you know, mm-hmm. they were in bed and they were under blankets and you said, oh, it's so terrible that they always have to be in bed and under blankets. Well, no, it's only while they have the flu. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. I, I get what you're saying. And if it yeah. look, if this happens again when she comes back on and we know she's going to be flirtatious with Picard. But I mean, mm-hmm. if if in season whatever she comes back and I'm only half being coy because I do know she comes back, but I can't remember anything about any of her other adventures. Sure. Um, if it's still doing that, then I'm then I'll join you on that. But, yeah, in this episode, it's just sort of like. I mean, it's it's almost like it's almost like puppy love on steroids or acid. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't right. know which. Only I, I say on acid only because I hate the on steroids thing, but I couldn't think of anything else. Right. The, the other thing that kind of saddened me about Loaxana is that she isn't allowed to use the holodeck. You know, because this actually seemed perfect for her. Mm. <laughs> you know, is it so bad that, as you say, if we say that she's just ill for this time mm-hmm. and not ill, she's just going through the phase. Right. So she's got this thing going on for this time. Is it so bad that she persists in the, the fantasy for long enough that she can get out of her phase? 
Hmm. You know, maybe, maybe not. I, I would actually argue both sides. And I would say, well, you know, from Picard's point of view, it is the right thing to do to let her know, like, hey, this guy is a hologram. He doesn't exactly exist. But exactly. knowing that he is a hologram, it doesn't exist. Lady, go to it. Yeah. <laughs> because if it gets you out of my hair for a little while, then, you know, knock yourself out. Here's the keys of the holodeck. No one will bother you. Yeah. Can we do the inconsistency thing, though? How did she not know what a holodeck was? Yeah, I know. That bothers me, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it, yeah. it has to be a point, so it has to be a point. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like Star Trek wants so badly to say something about sex and to be progressive, and, and sometimes they get it right. And, and other times like this, it just feels kind of uncomfortable because it felt like we're trying to throw everything at the script to take the audience and say, look, we're doing something different. You know, let, let's flip around the characters so we objectify the men rather than the women. And we'll give this woman a crazy high sex drive. And, and then we'll toy with the idea of menopause. And I kept thinking, how would we take it if this character were 25 or 30 or 35 years old instead of 60? You know, what, what if this was somebody who Riker was attracted to? Because last week, Riker had no problem expressing his attraction to the young, hot, highly sexually charged woman that they had just beamed aboard. Mm -hmm. So I wondered how we're supposed to take Loxana in, in these regards. She, she's almost this, like, comedic object. And that's why I said that at certain times I, I really felt sad for her, even though she's this broad caricature. Yeah. Um, but there's something about this and, and about sex when it comes to Star Trek that it feels like we're still icked out by it a little. And it's sort of like the Vulcans with Ponfarets, the, the, the deep and dark secret that you don't talk about. And then here's this thing that Betazoids don't talk about until it's kind of the last minute and you have to know because it's explosive and dangerous. So... Um, yeah, I, I don't know that this has a real statement about that, but there was something about it that I felt like, man, this this needed one other look. It needed it needed one other set of eyes to maybe make the statement that they were trying to make. We all go through phases. Thankfully, not all are as disruptive as the one experienced by Waxana. What can we take away from what she has been through? I'm trying so hard, man. I'm trying so hard to think oh, of another. Yeah. The problem is I'm, I'm, I'm actually going through all of the lyrics of Maneater in my head. <laughs> I know it's not Maneater. It's Manhunt. Sure, and there's sure, probably man. some old TV show that would like, but that would be a very obscure reference that you might not even get. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, yeah, plus, now I've got Maneater stuck in my head. Um, yeah. So instead, I'll just do the simple thing. It's time now to discuss the messages, morals, and meanings of this episode and whether or not it uh, stands the test of time. Maneater, John. I'm sorry. Manhunt, John. <laughs> um, uh, uh, let's, let's start with the whole holding up thing. Do you feel like this episode holds up? Hmm. I, all right, here's the thing. I, I love screwball comedies. Mm -hmm. Now, I was so glad that you mentioned the Philadelphia story and you mentioned Cary Grant because I, I had that in my notes. And I, and I thought, you know, you sit me down in front of Bringing Up Baby or Philadelphia Story. I'm a very happy camper. Mm -hmm. And this episode tries for that feel. And and it fails. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you what I do like here. I, I like that Deanna kind of warms up to her mother, at least in one scene. You know, even as off-putting as Loaxana is, she's still family. Mm -hmm. 
And that said, Waxana is disrespectful to everyone around her. She she's almost intolerable. She is intolerable. Um, and and you ask how long can she really keep that up? You know, I wouldn't say she's intolerable. I'd say she's irascible. Sure. Okay. Could call it that. Well, I mean, it's. <laughs> you know? I mean, she's kind of an annoying character, and yet I still don't hate her. Second episode no, that we've no. seen her now, and I don't hate this character. In fact, there is something kind of irascible about her, and that's why I don't want to say she's intolerable. Yeah, uh, yeah. Intolerant. <laughs> but not yeah, well, necessarily, yeah, that's for sure. Not yeah. necessarily intolerable. I mean, it's just, it's not a good episode, but there are fun things if you happen to like her character and you happen to like some Dixon Hill action, but it's not really great Dixon Hill action now, is it? So that's about it. That's about all you have going for it here. I, I warmed up to moments in this episode on later viewings, mm-hmm. the same way that we both did for Up the Long Ladder, where you, you watch it at first and you go, oh, really? That's what they're doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know? right. But then you go back and watch it again and the shock has worn off and, and you kind of enjoy some of those moments, like the Riker moment uh, when he's learning from Deanna what the phase is. Um, but that's really about it. It's a few enjoyable moments. And at the ending, the, oh, they're assassins. I, I just... I know it's supposed to be funny, but it's like the original series ending with a freeze frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, just in no way does this hold up for me. How about you? Well, I do have to really quickly on that assassin scene. So mm-hmm. could, could Mick Fleetwood actually do that with his voice? Oh, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if they could, I know why they hired him and I know why he yeah. was willing to be, you know, uh, shoved up in so much uh, so much latex. Yeah. Um, this episode does not hold up. No, not at all. And yeah. I, I say it doesn't hold up for different reasons than you say it doesn't hold up. Why is that? Uh, there are no ramifications to anything. You mentioned Pon Far. Mm-hmm. And yeah, except no. We don't know what happens to Spock if he's not allowed to, to actually go through Pon Far. My assumption, though, is somebody on the Enterprise is going to die. Because mm-hmm. remember, uh, a, a lovely uh, young uh, uh, Major Barrett uh, mm-hmm. brought Spock some soup and he threw it at her head. Right. Right. I have a feeling that if you brought Loxana soup, she would say, I don't really want soup, though. I want you. Do you know right, what I mean? I mean, right, right. And, 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 and when this whole thing is over, I mean, all it took, because like you said, the whole, you know, going through life and not realizing all that stuff. Well, she goes on the holodeck and she finds both Picard and Riker hiding out. And that's yeah. enough to break it. And, yeah. and what's weird is we had been given to understand, even if it wasn't being played well on the screen, we'd been given to understand that, no, seriously, if you screw with her on this, it could wreck her. You can't yeah. tell her that you're not into her because it will it will it will debilitate her. It will crush her. It will do something to her that we can't really deal with. And it turns out she finds out and she's like, "Oh, so you're not into me, huh?" No, mm. <laughs> and that's kind mm. of it. That's about it. And that and that that really deflates the entire episode at the end. Not that the episode gets a lot of air going, but I mean, whatever air was in it gets totally deflated when she's like, "Oh, so you don't like me? Fine." Um. The fact that there's no consequence at all to the phase, even in the even in this one episode, yeah, is is kind of a letdown. And then there's the fact that nobody learns anything. And you could say, well, Wesley learns a lot because he is being told by everyone what an immature git he is for not understanding that just because somebody <laughs> looks like one thing doesn't mean they are you know bad. It, it just means that they're different. 
And yet that's undercut by the fact that, you know, Riker was making the joke with him before Picard gave him that. And Loxana comes in while Worf, while Worf and, and Wesley are having this moment, this lesson, right? Did you think that I was ugly? Yes, I did. But you're not bad for a Klingon. Okay, well, okay, first of all, whoops. And second, then here comes the person that we've been told that we have to respect, who's like, wow, fry that up and give me a slice, would you? About the Antedians. I mean, she's she keeps talking about how ugly they are and how they're better as food. And this is even before she knows they plan to blow up the conference. <laughs> right. She's not even treating them bad because they're bad beings. She's treating them bad because they look ugly. Yeah. And we're going to defer to our elders on this because that's, you know, hey, you and I are sons of the South. I'm sure that there have been 80-year-old people that we've gone, well, I could have this discussion. <laughs> or, I can, mm-hmm. or I could walk away. Sure. Because that's about as much good as I'm going to be able to do. It's, it, you no, know, there's, it, it just, uh, on so many levels, it doesn't work. And yet there are fantastic moments. Like, I mean, you and I both honed in on that moment on the couch between Riker yeah. and Troy. That's a great moment. Sure. Um, you say it's a good episode if you like Dix- Dixon Hill action. I can't remember if I said this earlier, but really what you have to like is Dixon Hill in action. And yeah. I, I don't mean in yeah. new word action. I mean, you have to like no. in action, action. Around, around the character <laughs> because he's like, I want to be Dixon Hill. Ah, I don't want to be Dixon Hill, uh, but I still want to be Dixon Hill. Wait, no, I don't. Okay. Yeah. So if you like seeing a guy sit around in a really nice outfit and drink, uh, yeah, then it's an okay episode for Dixon Hill stuff. But it's weird because it's not enough to hate, but it's just, it's not, I guess I would rather watch this again than up the long ladder, but yeah. Yeah. Well, what, you know, Picard should have said to the holodeck computer after the multiple times that he stopped the program is holodeck, new parameters. Uh, I like hats. <laughs> and, and then that's that's the game. Oh, that's no. The then it would have been thing. Alice in Wonderland. He would have, oh, yeah. He would have yeah, been the Mad then, Hatter, which would be actually would kind of interesting that. to see. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, here's the thing. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to say that the phase and Ponfar are the same thing. They're very different things. What I'm trying to say is that Star Trek every now and then has this opportunity to do something about sexuality and kind of turn things on their ear, and uh, particularly with uh, aging and sexuality, which, which I, you know, in different hands, this could have been told very differently. But what I'm saying is that. Star Trek, when it tries to do that, it comes kind of right up to the line, and then they sort of don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And um, it's unfortunate that in the original series, when we were introduced to Pon Far, well, of course, in Star Trek, the original series, everything was new to everybody. So you could kind of get away with saying, here's this thing about Vulcan sexuality that nobody knows about, so we will now explore it here. Yeah. Um, But... We expect our Star Trek in the 24th century to be a little more progressive, a little more thoughtful. Um, we expect that there are things that people understand about each other. And I, I like, I kind of get it. The, this episode is intended to be farce. It yeah. is intended to be the kind of thing like bringing up Baby or the Philadelphia story or whatever. And that's fine. But it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So if we want something a little more sophisticated or nuanced or, or thoughtful about sexuality and aging or about relationships or whatever, this ain't it. Yeah. And then I guess probably another message that we would have to hone in on again is the whole thing that they kept trying to tell Wesley. Yeah, And while what they kept trying to tell Wesley held up, um, its illustration in this episode didn't. I mean, it turns out Wes was right the whole time. 
yeah, these guys are ugly. Oh, and it turns out they're they're also ugly of spirit. Right, <laughs> so, I mean, right, right. So I mean, so trust your instinct, kids. If 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 people don't look good, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's just kind of yeah, it's kind of a bummer because yeah, well, it's a bummer because it's forty eight minutes. You won't, you won't. You, you, it's forty eight minutes of Star Trek that you can't make again. I mean, th- those forty eight yeah. minutes are now canon, and it would be so much better right. if if something else had been canon. Ah, well. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, Ken, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Find out more at roddenberry.com. And there are also a lot of other cool things to find at roddenberry.com, like the fan census and like some very cool Roddenberry and Star Trek products for you to peruse. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, The Emissary. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. The fish people in the ambergris element were called aquans. You are welcome. And transmission. <laughs>